Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good morning, dear listeners. You're listening to Radio 3CR on 855 AM and Palestine Remembered with Robert Martin, Nasser Mashni and Yusuf Ahmed Rimawi. Palestine Remembered is Australia's only English language radio program that is totally dedicated to Palestine. We'd like to welcome those listening on 855 and those that will join us on podcast at 3cr.org.au. Thanks for joining us. Stay with us and enjoy the episode. Listeners, thank you for joining us on Palestine Remembered during Corona lockdown. We're recording outside of the studio, so apologies in advance for the audio quality. I'm honoured, though, to be joined by a dear friend, Tata, who is the founder of We Were and Still Are Here, an initiative in Palestine to document the stories of Palestinian destroyed villages and connecting diaspora and refugee Palestinians with their homes. He does this via video and internet. It's available all over Facebook and Instagram. Stay with me and enjoy the show. With uh, good morning, good evening, Tarek. You're joining us from Jerusalem in Palestine. How's things there? From my side, good evening. <laughs> it's so sad what's happening nowadays. We're trapped. <laughs> we can't go. And, uh, you know, but f- for us as Palestinians, it's, it's not that uh, weird because uh, for me, I'm used to these uh, closure, closures and uh, curfews. Yeah, and it reminded me uh, with the Intifada days. Uh, so, yes, a little bit familiar, but now it's a worldwide issue. So the whole world is feeling what Palestine feels. Yes, but even, even you know, I live, I live in Jerusalem, but it's also different than, than other places in Palestine like uh, Gaza. So people in Gaza, they are really used to these things. That they can't travel. They, for, for example, uh, in, in March, I had so many um, activities and exhibitions uh, abroad. And I've cancelled everything. So I felt that feeling that I can't travel. I can't cross the border, the bridge, and go to Jordan and to other world, to other places in the world. But then I felt and I, I thought of the people of Gaza who couldn't travel since, I don't know, 2007, something like this. So I said, okay, fine. It's... And it's it's happening to everyone here. So you're under the restriction of the Israeli regime. What mm-hmm. does that look like? So uh, here it's it's a bit complicated because our lives it's connected with with Ramallah and Bethlehem in the West Bank, or our friends, relatives, work, everything. So here in Jerusalem, you know, it's like you are under two uh, under two uh, authorities, let's say, because you are connected to to, to the West Bank. And in the West Bank, they started, you know, the closure and everything before, before that. Uh, Bethlehem, uh, it started maybe uh, three weeks ago, and uh, we couldn't see anyone uh, and or go to Bethlehem. And also, there's something else, Nasser, you know. You know, the Israelis, they, they put uh, cameras everywhere around Jerusalem. So after what happened in Bethlehem, 
they 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 took all the numbers of the cars uh, in uh, in uh, who went to uh, to Bethlehem, and uh, after the Corona thing happened, they said, okay, there are a number of people from Jerusalem who went to Bethlehem in the last two weeks. Now you should be in quarantine. So you know they they used also the the these military and security cameras for other. Uh, reasons so yeah and, and here in Jerusalem for example it's not a full closure but in in the West Bank sometimes they say the Israelis they close the checkpoints at uh, so it's like they are they didn't take the, the decision yet but every time and then they say we're gonna close the uh, checkpoints between Jerusalem and the West Bank but it's still it's still not closed uh, yet but to Bethlehem, it's it's closed. Uh, everything is, you know, complicated. We we, we don't know what's going to happen next. And uh, even in, in in the numbers of people who were infected by the virus, uh, there are no, uh, let's say, clear numbers how many Arab Palestinians living in in, uh, in the inside the Green Line uh, who were infected. So even in Jerusalem, sometimes they put us with. Uh, with with the, as Palestinians and sometimes as because we hold uh, Israeli uh, IDs, so it's it's complicated and it's still uh, we don't know where we're going. One of the realities is the Israelis have said there's up to about nine thousand Palestinian uh, workers from the West Bank who work in Israel. They said you can work, but you have to you can't go home for the next two months. You know, sleeping on working sites, etc. And towards the end of winter, coming into spring. In fact, one Palestinian worker was sick, fainted in a mm. checkout, and they drove him and just dumped him on the other side of the yes. fence. Yes, because the only thing they think uh, about is their economy. So for them, they wanted to uh, to uh, to continue with and to remain the, to to keep the uh, uh, you know the construction, the uh, uh, the, the all all this in some fields. So. The, the the cheap workers who can like give them like uh, you know uh, uh, less money. There are the Palestinians living in the West Bank. So okay, we want to keep our economy uh, going on. Uh, come and work. We're gonna give you places to stay in, but you're not gonna go back to the West Bank for two months until this uh, crisis uh, end. Uh, so uh, they 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 didn't make it right, and they didn't give. Uh, the workers, uh, these places to stay in for two months. So uh, most of them, they wanted to go back to the West Bank, uh, and this here it happened. You know the the thing. And uh, today, or maybe yesterday, the first Palestinian, the uh, uh, first Palestinian passed away from from the Corona. Mm -hmm. She's from a village near Jerusalem. Her son was working uh, inside the Green Line, and he was infected by the virus. And now the whole village, uh, there are uh, more than uh, 19 people infected with the with the virus. Um, and as you know, the, uh, the the hospitals in the West Bank, they are not ready for these kind of uh, uh, of things and uh, diseases. So uh, that's why it's so worrying. Mm -hmm. And we spare a thought for Gaza, which is even worse. Now, Tara, let's yeah. go quickly to, to your work. I was honored to, that you hosted my brother and sons and nephew and I last year. And inshallah, we'll see you again very soon. Tell us about your fantastic work and what it is that you do. First of all, I'm really sad that this coronavirus, it's happening nowadays during the uh, springtime because 
on the sprint time, it's the most uh, likely time to go and to document the calcium ethnic cleansed villages. So this is the thing that I do. Uh, you know, in 1948, uh, more than 500 Palestinian villages were ethnically cleansed by the uh, Israelis. So where most of the Palestinian refugees they are from nowadays, uh, what I do is visual documentation to these villages, but in a different way. You know, we have so many uh, Palestinian and Arab uh, historians who wrote books about uh, Palestine before 1948, about these villages and everything. But nowadays, with the technology and social media, I said, no, I have to go in a new, different way uh, of documentation based on this kind of visual documentation. So the main idea is that the Palestinians in the diaspora, they send me old pictures of their houses before 1948. And um, I take the picture, look at it, and compare it where this picture was. For example, uh, Nasser sends me a picture for his uh, grandfather in, in Jaffa, in Yaffa, in, in the 30s. And he tells me, hey, Tariq, um, I don't know uh, what happened to our house. I can't come to Palestine, for example. So I take the picture. I find the place, if it's still there or not. Okay, I take the, the picture from the same angle. And then I write the story about, about the family, about the neighborhood, about what happened from a historical side and from a social, humane uh, side. So um, uh, this is the idea. So people from all the world, they send me old pictures uh, in black and white of their houses and i document these houses and sometimes when when uh, when some palestinians who have let's say who have uh, the uh, foreign citizenship who could enter palestine okay i document the villages with the story of the palestinian himself or herself you know uh, you can write about any village uh, in, in palestine but it's it's different when you bring someone who's originally from this village and document his return uh, so the documentation it comes uh, sometimes with pictures or sometimes with videos or articles so this is the main idea of the documentation and sometimes i i knock on the doors to see who's living in these houses if if, if, if it's not a destroyed village because you know there are houses in in cities like uh, like Haifa, like Akka, like Yaffa, Jerusalem, and these places. So sometimes there are Israelis living in these Palestinian houses. Uh, and, you know, they, most of them, they don't care about, okay, yes, uh, sometimes I show them the picture, like, hey, you're living in the house of this Palestinian who's now a refugee, for example, in, in Lebanon or in Syria or in Jordan. So uh, most of them, they tell me, okay, we don't, we don't uh, we don't care so what uh we're stronger now we won the war and that's it and just to make it clear to our listeners you actually knock on the door and confront them and say shlomo or ava yeah. you're living in uh, abu muhammad's house here's a picture yeah. of abu muhammad in 1947 his descendants are now refugees in jordan lebanon perhaps canada australia anywhere in the world how do you feel about mm. living in their home tell us a couple of the reactions you've had you know personal stories yeah, for example, last year um, I had a picture of a, a Palestinian family uh, from the late 20s. Uh, the owner of the house, his name is Shukri, uh, they took a 
family picture front of their house in in the western part of Jerusalem. This the old man with his wife and daughters in front of the house to, after they built and finished the house. They thought that we're gonna live here forever, you know. So in 1948, they were expelled from this house. So I had the old picture of the family and I found uh, the house in one of the neighborhoods in West Jerusalem. I took the picture from the same angle for documentation and then said, let's knock. <laughs> so I knocked and there was an Israeli man. Uh, he, I told him, listen, you're living, I know that you're living here now, but just to let you know that this is the house of this man this is his picture and his family and everything. He said, yes, I know that I'm living in a house for a Palestinian who uh, who left, as if you know, he left for for a vacation, not uh, after uh, massacres that took place everywhere in Palestine in 1948 and they were expelled by force. So what what the reaction is, most of them, let's say, they tell me after a conversation, like after you tell them everything, you know, uh, they, they say, well, we are the chosen people and God gave me this house. So this is what they believe, that because they are the chosen people, God gave these houses for them instead of the Palestinians who built these houses in the 20s, 30s and 40s. And the Palestinians who have all the documents and the proofs that these houses are theirs. But now there are Israeli laws like the guardian absentee law that takes all your properties and they can use uh, your house, your property for other uh, reasons. And you are not allowed to, to, uh, to get your back again, to take it again. The absurdity of that argument that we just left that it wasn't um, massacres and the point of a gun barrel. Have you felt threatened at all? I mean, if somebody knocked on my door, you know, and I was an illegal settler as, you know, occupying somebody else's home, I, I, I don't think I would take kindly to your intrusion. No, but, you know, they speak in a confident way. They, they just don't care. And sometimes it depends on the area. Okay, sometimes if, if like it's uh, it's uh, it's a kibbutz or somewhere like I I I I don't take the risk to do this. I just document and just go away. But uh, in some places like uh, Haifa and West Jerusalem, uh, they pretend to be a little bit like leftists and these things. So they 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 talk with you. They uh, they make this let's say argument or conversation that leads to this answer. But you can sense from the beginning if this is going uh, to be a, a good conversation, like to, to take something from them or not. And sometimes like if, if, if you're just standing outside and take a picture of the house and they feel like, hey, what are you doing here? I just take the picture and leave, you know? But sometimes they, some of them, they approach you and they tell you, hey, yes, I know that I'm living in the house of this family, but yeah. For example, you know, maybe last summer, uh, a man, a Palestinian man who was from uh, Safad, originally from Safad, uh, in the north of Palestine, uh, he came on American citizenship for the first time after 71 years to Palestine. And his daughter, she was making a film. She's a filmmaker. And after we found the house, after hours of searching, and then we knocked on the door. Uh, so the Israeli man who was living inside, he saw three cameras recording and he saw like equipment mics and lightning and 
So he's, he he wanted to be polite, and uh, then when when we told him that this is the house of uh, Husni Ghanim, uh, this is the man he was born here. So he said, "Okay, uh, you look like a nice man. Uh, you are invited here anytime if you want to see the house." Uh, but what can I tell you? The a war took place here and we were stronger. The house is mine. Do you want me to be sorry that we won the war? So this is history and that's it. Unbelievable. One yep. of my favorite stories, Tara, is Halime. Can you share yeah. <laughs> Halime's story with our listeners? Yeah, sure. So we should know something that, let's say, if, if we can say that the population of the Palestinians around the world, maybe 13 million Palestinians, we can say that most of the Palestinians, they are outside of like historical Palestine, living in refugee camps all over the world. But also, we have refugees living inside Palestine. For example, um, 40% of the Palestinians in the West Bank, they are originally refugees. 70 to 75% of the Palestinians in Gaza, they are refugees as well. And even the Palestinians living inside the Green Line, uh, holding the Israeli citizenship nowadays, uh, more than 35% of them, they are displaced as well. So that's why uh, there are refugee camps inside the West Bank and Gaza. So one, one of the stories, and um, one of the remarkable stories that happened uh, maybe five, six years ago, is the story of Halima. Halima, she's originally from a village called uh, Beit Nabala. Beit Nabala, it's a village in uh, Ramle district. It's near the airport. And then after 1948, the Lid airport, what they call Ben-Gurion airport, it's, it expanded on the uh, lands of, uh, of her village. So um, in 1948, uh, the, the, they were expelled from the village. Halima, she was maybe 15 years old. And then the Israelis, they destroyed all the houses in the village and they built two kibbutzes, one of them called uh, Kfar Truman and the other one is Beit Nehemia. And the ruins uh, of the village, you can see, can, there are a few, uh, some ruins here and there, like water wells and, uh, and uh, the school is still there and uh, the remains of the houses. So uh, what I knew that Halima, um, when she was 15 years old, uh, she, uh, uh, she, the, the, her family, they walked to the uh, east a few kilometers and then they, they, uh, they, they stayed in Ramallah and in a refugee camp, which is now called uh, Al-Jalazon refugee camp, Jalazon refugee camp in Ramallah. Uh, what I knew that Halima, she has never ever in her life returned back to her village. Can you imagine her village? It's only 40 minutes from, from the refugee camp. But because she lives in the West Bank, she is not allowed to go to, uh, to, the, to the other side. And uh, so her, her nephew, he is my friend. Uh, he's a Palestinian author called Ziad. And uh, he told me, Tariq, uh, my aunt, she's... Um, she's really sick and um, she has never ever been to her village uh, since 1948 and we're afraid something bad happens to her without seeing her village so I said okay fine I'll go to the Fiji camp and uh, take her to uh, to her village so uh, I went there uh, and on that time uh, it was uh, 
the Eid was approaching and uh, the Israelis, they said, any Palestinian living in the West Bank and who is above 60 years old, uh, they can enter the checkpoint if there is no restrictions on him or her. And uh, they can go for certain uh, days and certain times on certain days, not, not, not 24-7, you know. So uh, this was an advantage. So I took Halima and uh, also two old women from, from the refugee camp who are originally from the same village. And uh, on that day, also her nephew, Ziad, he, uh, he got a uh, permission to enter. So we went to, to the village. And you know, in the village, uh, the, the, the old women, when we arrived, the first thing they did, you know, uh, every Palestinian who returns back to to their village, they 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 take a, a plastic bag with them. <laughs> so they started putting uh, soil, dirt from from the ground. So uh, they started collecting things and uh, plants. And then they started singing, you know. After an hour, we started, you know, uh, trying to find their, uh, the, they had their houses, but everything was destroyed. After maybe an hour, uh, we could recognize the house of uh, Halima from the water well. And she said, yes, this is our house. This is our water well. And um, maybe you can uh, provide the listeners with the links and the link of the video uh, when, when she returned. So, because you could see her uh, sitting, yeah, on the water well, so and uh, it was so emotional, touching when 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 they found the ruins of their houses. And after maybe an hour, uh, we said, okay, let's go back to the Fiji camp. So the old women they sat on a rock and they said, no, we don't want to go back to the Fiji camp. I said, what? They said we've been dreaming for this moment for years. No, we don't like the refugee camp. For years, we've been dreaming to return back to our village. Why, why do you want to take me to the refugee camp? Just leave me here. I just want to stay here, to die here. Here's my father's grave. I can just sleep next to it. I can eat from, from the nature here in my village. Please don't take me back to the refugee camp. So it took me maybe 15 minutes to convince them to get in the car. And... Um, then something shocking happened that uh, Ziad, my friend, he told me, listen, Tariq, do you know that my aunt, Halima, she has never ever in her life seen the sea? I said, what? You know, I have friends living in the West Bank, in Nablus and in Janine, who are in their 30s, but they didn't see the, the sea. But an old woman in her 80s, she didn't see the sea in her life. So this was shocking. You know, in Palestine, we have more than 260 kilometers on the Mediterranean. And we also have the Sea of Galilee. We have the Red Sea. But 2 million Palestinians in the West Bank, they are not allowed to see the sea in Palestine. For example, in places like Tulkarim, it's only 15 minutes from Tulkarim to the Mediterranean, to the sea. But the people in Tulkarim, they don't know the sea. Can you imagine? Mm. So it was really shocking. So I said, I made one of her dreams come true and I took her to, uh, to her village. I'm going to make another dream come true. So I took her to Yafa. And uh, there was a famous picture when she saw the sea for the first time ever, when she touched the sea. So it was really emotional. Like an old woman 
wearing the traditional Palestinian dress with the Palestinian embroidery, okay, approaching the sea to see it for the first time ever and to touch it for the first time. So this is the story of, uh, of Halima. That's amazing. Um, to to, com- to to talk to your point about dirt, I know when, when well, I know my father went for the first time after 48 in 95 back to uh, mm-hmm. Palestine and he came mm-hmm. back with some dirt and he said, you know, I don't, I hope that I can get buried in, in Palestine, but if not, uh, this is some dirt from Jerusalem, sprinkle this on my grave. And sadly, yeah. uh, he's... Uh, his prophecy was true. He wasn't able to be buried in Palestine, and so we had to sprinkle mm-hmm. Jerusalem dirt upon him. So this is the reality. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so for our listeners, um, Tara, uh, you've been on Al Jazeera, has featured some of your work. Um, where else could um, our listeners find and see your, your, your work? I mean, I can share the uh, uh, link yeah. to Halima's video on the, the podcast mm-hmm. hyperlink, but where else mm-hmm. could they find more of your work? Yeah, uh, you know, the main platform for uh, what I'm doing is the social media itself, like uh, Facebook and, and Instagram, and mainly the Facebook, because from Facebook, people can uh, approach uh, and uh, connect with me so that I can find their villages and sometimes make video calls for the old people who are not allowed to come to Palestine. So because sometimes, you know, there are Palestinians in, in, in Lebanon who are not allowed to to visit Palestine, like any others other Palestinians so I go to their villages and I make video calls for the for them to see their villages so mainly it's it's the uh, social media Facebook uh, I have a website tarikbakri.com uh, but the Facebook it's more updated uh, and yes recently Al Jazeera documentary they uh, made uh, a documentary about uh, this initiative which I call it in Arabic we were and still are here uh, and um, there are so many stories like it took three generations of Palestinians in this film during one year uh, the first Palestinian generation like Halima and other stories for Palestinians living inside Palestine and other stories for Palestinians in the diaspora returning for the first time to Palestine and uh, also there are stories of second generation uh, of people from uh, in their 40s and 50s uh, who returned back, and also the third generation, who was also born in the diaspora, who returned back to, the Pal- to Palestine for the first time, and who are still, you know, it, it, it focuses on how, on how the third generation is also connected and in, insisting to to return back to to Palestine. So this this film. Uh, uh, we we started publishing it uh, and screening it uh, uh, in some places in Palestine, in Jordan, and Kuwait, and other places. And we were planning also to uh, to visit Australia to uh, uh, to screen the film there. But then the Corona thing happened, and so we hope we hope that after uh, this crisis uh, ends, so so we could uh, screen it in uh, in Australia. It would be great if it were, we could have it as part of the Palestine Film Festival, which is in its 11th year this year. So with a bit of luck, maybe we can get you out here in October, November. Now, Tata, we've only got a couple of minutes to go. I wanted to share a story when my family and I were with you in Haifa and we were there and 
you introduced me to some wonderful Palestinian women. And the first thing they said to me, because you're so famous, Tara, is, you know, where's your village? Has Tara found your house yet? They didn't even ask me where I was from before, assuming <laughs> yeah. naturally, if Tara is with a foreign <laughs> Palestinian, then there must be a, a connection yeah. somewhere. And this is a big responsibility, you know, Nasser. Like, it's a big responsibility that uh, anyone who wants to find the roots, the, the village, the house, the family, so... They approach me, so this is the responsibility. Especially that this initiative, it's uh, it, it's uh, it's independent, and uh, I do it like with a small team of uh, volunteers, and it's a voluntary uh, initiative. So yes, it's a big responsibility, uh, and yes, I remember when we were in high school. <laughs> <laughs> so just we've only got a minute to go, uh, Habibi. Um, how can our listeners support you? Yeah. Um, you know, since uh, this initiative, it's independent uh, because it, uh, uh, I refuse to take any conditional fund from any organization or any party or any or any uh, from anyone. Uh, th- that's why I'm um, I'm focusing more on the uh, uh, crowdfunding. So I have now nowadays um, a, a profile on uh, Patreon. Uh, so people can go to Patreon and uh, just be part of this initiative because there are uh, so many stories on the to-do list. And because uh, we, I'm doing these stories uh, by myself, uh, so it's gonna, it, it takes time and it costs also uh, uh, a lot. And sometimes there are Palestinians who, are, who could not afford their return to, to Palestine. So uh, when, when, when you contribute uh, to this initiative, you're also helping uh, uh, to document a, a story and a return of a Palestinian uh, to his village, to his uh, house, to his homeland for the uh, first time. Uh, so basically, this is what I'm uh, doing uh, recently uh, to continue with, uh, uh, with, the, with this initiative and to keep it uh, independent. A special thanks to Tarot from Palestine. Stay safe, free Palestine, and go to apan.org.au and join us in the fight to free Palestine.